This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to I Hate the Fins. This is our 17th uh, episode under the Finsider uh, podcast radio network. Kevin, did I, did I get that correct? Yeah, that works. Good. As you can hear, I have a special guest tonight. You guys know him as the Finsider. Uh, Mosul doll, doll fan is how I first know, knew him <laughs> way back in the that day. That was a long before, time ago. <clears throat> that was before you took over the Finsider. So thanks for joining me. Like I said off the air, it's really good to hear your voice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to do it. So, I mean, we'll just get into it. I mean, a lot of stuff that's coming, a lot of stuff that came up today, not necessarily Dolphins related, but just in terms of the combine. I knew a lot of people were looking to pick through what Brian Flores talked about, uh, expected answers. I thought we could talk about that a little bit. I thought that he pretty much rolled through the catalog of what you say when you're a rookie head coach going to the combine to talk to those vultures in the press. So there's that. Uh, So Arizona, their number one pick. And they claim that Josh Rosen's their guy for now. And you put that in air quotes if you want, because because that was, because, that was a good uh, addition of for now. Yeah, for now. And they claim Rosen's the guy for now with that number one pick, though. We talked about this last week on the show. We can talk about it with you now. I don't know how much you're into Kyler Murray. I haven't really talked to you much about uh, football, so I'm going to learn some things coming up here in the next half hour or so, but. We think that Kyler Murray is absolutely going to go number one overall. What do you think? I wouldn't be surprised. I think that I think he's one of those guys that he has such a high reward, even though he is, I mean, he is a big risk, but I think that he has such a high reward that you take the shot. And if you miss, you just have a plan to because He's going to be a guy that you're going to know pretty quickly whether or not it's going to hit. And I think that if you miss, you just have the plan of, okay, that means next year we're using two number ones for our quarterback, basically. Mm-hmm. We're taking a shot, and if we don't get it, we take it again next year. Um, I, I would not be surprised. I know that then a lot of people start going, well, they already have their quarterback, so what are they doing? And I know there's suddenly a lot of Dolphins fans that are talking about, hey, we want to uh, we, we, we want to try to trade for him. And I just – I don't like that trade. But I think that it would not surprise me at all if the Cardinals did that move. That was my next question. So, I mean, if you're the Dolphins, I mean, you – don't have any interest it sounds like do you think anyone in the organization i mean you're talking about a guy you know next to nowhere on his tires really went into a situation that i don't think was a very good plan to begin with because i don't believe you can draft somebody and then bring in sam bradford and think that dude's not going to be playing this that season because sam bradford is fragile oh he is absolutely and i think that I'm not anti-Rosen. 
I just, he was not a guy that I wanted last year. And if I'm the Cardinals, I'm asking for this year's one and something else because you can, and you'll have two rookie quarterbacks on yes. First round pick salaries, but you'll have two first round quarterbacks, rookie salaries that if you need to sit on both, you sit on both and you can find a way to make that work. Um, I just, I don't know something about Rosen. Just, I never thought he was the right guy. I I know that there were a lot of first round picks last year for quarterbacks. And I think all of them had strengths, but I thought there were flaws in most of them also. And Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. Rosen just never jumped out at me as the guy I want to get. And if, if you can pull off a trade that doesn't get super expensive, maybe you do it. But I just think that the dolphins have so many holes that I don't want to see them giving up extra picks to go get a quarterback that probably has a flaw or they can go get a rookie and just go ahead and develop him rather than trying to get a guy that now has tried to learn one system and is immediately trying to learn another system. And it just, it can get messy. I think, um, I know a lot of Dolphins and Dolphins fans are baby crazy with the whole get a quarterback now. I get it, especially when you haven't had one for almost 20 years now. Um, but I'm good with if you're sitting at 13 and just going best player available. I mean, your def- your trenches defensively are absolute trash right now. I mean, you have a lot of work to do in the interior offensive line. We'll see what happens with Juwan James at right tackle. Uh, Laramie Tunsil has blossomed. I think some of us were a little nervous there for a while, yeah. wondering, I mean, some of the, you know, is he going to slip in the shower again or whatever, you know, half-ass story they put up there or whatever. And I think that he, uh, and and last year when I got a, talk, a chance to talk to him, um, it just, it felt like we, we, we specifically asked him, would you ever want to do left guard again or what what is your feeling of being at left tackle now a year and a half removed from that and he was like oh thank god i never i'll never have to do that again and i think that it just it messed with him he can play the position but not having the immediate success at the position and then coming back to left tackle and expecting it to be easy and then going oh wait it isn't i think it just threw him for a loop mentally And yeah, last year when he blossomed, it was mostly just he was back comfortable knowing his role, knowing his spot and being left out there on that island by himself. And he was ready to do it. I hated that move. That was probably the first thing Adam Adam Gase did that I didn't really approve of. I thought that if anything, and I know that there was a lot of uh, arguments about this, a lot of disagreement. I thought it should have been Brandon Albert, who was a guard in college. At one point, when he's playing at Virginia, I thought it should have been him yep. going inside. I mean, if you have the franchise, I get it's left tackle. It's a position not to be taken lightly. But, I mean, you you got a guy who really, if not for teams trading up, and if not for the whole um, Bane bong mass that he had come up, that whole thing. The whole, it looked like uh, Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet, that whole apparatus <laughs> that he's breathing in. Yeah. <laughs> That whole thing. If not for that, I mean, he's the number one pick that year. Yeah. 
and if Tennessee hangs on to that pick and none of that that funny stuff goes down, I mean, he he was the guy. So I feel like if you're the Dolphins and you trade down that that year and you still get him, it's okay to have the veteran and kick that dude inside. Brandon Albert knows how to play guard. I mean, yeah, and I, I don't think, think that- I don't think a lot of people realize how difficult it is to move along the offensive line and play different positions. I mean, and it it's important to develop an appreciation for the guys who do. So like when the Bears draft like Cody Whitehair, who was, you know, left tackle at K-State, had shorter arms. So a lot of people expected that he was going to be a left guard and now they're using him at center. I mean, like that's rare stuff. That's not easy to do. So and I think that that I think that probably was the right way to do it was put Albert inside, put Tunsil outside. Even even if Albert doesn't have that experience, that puts a left guard in there that knows what a left tackle is supposed to be doing, and it's a rookie left tackle. He can teach. Yeah. The other way around, you have a left tackle that's going – you figure out left guard, even though you know that eventually you're going to become at left tackle. So now you're asking him, asking the rookie to not just develop and learn the speed of the NFL, learn a new position, knowing that a year from now, you're going to go back to the other position. So yeah, I think that there was, that was probably not the right way to do it, looking back on it. And I, I know, like you said, you, you said it from the beginning, it's not the right way to do it. But yeah, I definitely think that it wasn't the right way to do it, looking back on it. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. I get that. Did you yell at Tunsil for uh, he and his uh, agent's publicist shutting me down after I waited around all, <laughs> all waited for the wait for everyone to clear out? I forgot about that. That's so right. Oh, I forgot about that. Because I mean, and the funny thing is, like he and I had chatted a few times earlier that night because I was in that uh, that presser when he told he announced that he took money at Ole Miss. And I'll never forget just sitting in that room and there was just like this gasp. And one of the guys behind me was like, he was like, holy crap, did he just admit that? And I yeah. mean, then so like I, he walked by me and like he like said a few things to me, but I think he was just kind of muttering because he knew he was in trouble because his, uh, his agent's publicist is the one who broke up that presser and then took him in a little, there's a little room with a door. I think I took a picture of the door with like a like crummy wooden door in this place. and she took him in there and just I assume read him the riot act or whatever and just said like look you can't say these things so afterward I'm dealing with all these like local press and everything like some guys were like hey get out of our shot and I was just like nah dude I'm not I don't know who you are I'm not listening to you so all this clears out and finally I I get them and I'm like hey can we just uh, talk about football or anything a little bit I don't really care about the uh, extracurriculars I'm not interested in that stuff and he kind of looked interested but then he looked at his publicist who gave him like the no way sign. And he just looked at me. He's like, nah, dog. And I was just like, oh, I could have been home by now. So, and I just remember, uh, I don't know if I told the story on air when I was le- And so I'm in a bad mood at this point because I just waited around an extra hour to try to get something out of this. I'm, I'm walking past all these guys like Corey Coleman, who was drafted by the Browns is standing there. And I remember thinking like that dude is tiny. Like that guy's a first round pick. He is small. I remember walking by Taylor Decker, who is not small. That guy is enormous. I probably could have walked under his legs if I needed to. So I remember I'm walking out of the front of this place, and I hear that Denver had just traded up to get Paxton Lynch. 
And I just remember thinking, like, that's such a dumb pick and just like so salty at this point. And then I walked out and I was trying to get Uber a cat, you know, get an Uber. I almost said Uber a cab, that's not a thing. And <laughs> and uh, I remember pushing the Uber and they had the accelerated pricing as the NFL draft and everything. So it's more expensive. Yep. I'm upset about that now. And I'm about to get in and these Vikings fans walk by me and they start like tearing on me. Like just going after me for some reason. I don't know why. And I remember one of them had like a yellow Moss jersey on. And I just told him, I was like, hey. And he's like, what? I said, that is the ugliest jersey I have ever seen in my life. And he was like, my grandmother gave this to me. And I just like jumped in the Uber, Uber and just, <laughs> and I was just told the guy, I was like, drive, drive, go. <laughs> and because like, these guys were coming for me, and like this pack of ravenous Vikings fans were, uh, I'm surprised no one was wearing a Favre jersey anyway. I, I hope you uh, you told Tunsil I'm still very disappointed in him, and I can't look at him play and think like, man, he should have just told his publicist to pipe down for a little bit. Oh, I had so many good questions to ask him too. Whatever, um, I'm not bitter. <clears throat> I'm so bitter. So the thing with Kyler Murray, and you mentioned their risks, and I mean, I feel like this is a two part thing, and it and it comes with height, and it comes with build. Now I've seen that he has put some pounds on. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. they had a picture of him. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know where he was recently, but he is definitely filling out a little bit. So, yeah, um, I know that a couple days ago it was 206 was what they were expecting, which is still so we'll see still what happens when it actually happens. <laughs> That's messed up that people are like, oh, man, he's bulked yeah. up. He's 206 now. And it's like a quarterback. It's like you think like bulked up is like you're in the like the I feel like 230 is usually the safe zone that people want. But I mean, you're also talking about. I mean, he's putting up 206 at what you know. He's going to come in at about 510 somewhere in there. Yeah. So that's a well, real. Just to just to throw it out there, Pat White was six feet 205. Okay, so that's that was my next question. If <laughs> so, what happens with these undersized quarterbacks? Who I mean, what glue factory are they sent to? These guys like Pat White after the Steelers killed him in that game. Oh, I still that hit still. Oh. I don't know how he got up from that hit. I don't know. I just remember watching that. And I felt like I was watching the movie Lucas, where I was just like, "He's not, <laughs> not going to get up." Yeah, he died. Um, he didn't. So, but I mean, his career is absolutely over at that. And that was such a an ill conceived. They they wanted him as a wildcat quarterback. They would bring him in in these really yeah. awkward times. Remember that that win they had on Monday night against the Jets, like that final yeah. drive. They bring him in for like a couple of snaps. I'm like, why is he in there? Like, what do you, what's he going to do right now? And he almost fumbled the ball. Yeah. So anyway, that was just such a bad plan. Oh, I don't know, but that was such a sweet win. Oh man. Um, and then the Jets went to the AFC championship game that year and we didn't do anything. (laughs) We had those sweet orange jerseys though. So I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think Kyler Murray, a lot of people are like, ah, if you can't pass him on 13, you're not going to have to worry about passing on him if you're at two, because I think he's going number one overall. Um, and it's, you know, that sets a weird precedent in that you have a guy who was going to play baseball, was considered way too small to play NFL football, and then, you know, wins the Heisman and like had an incredible year, um, did major damage to, to an Alabama defense that maybe in hindsight we should have pumped the brakes on because what Trevor Lawrence did to them the next week was absolutely just, I, I was a bloodbath. So I don't know. 
But he comes out and he's an impressive guy now and he's probably going to go number one. And do you think this is all because of Russell Wilson? Are people so afraid of missing out on the next Russell Wilson? Or, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of FOMO that informs this kind of thing when you have a dude who's going to go play for the Oakland A's and a couple of months later, it's like, nah, he's probably going number one overall. I think that, that that's probably part of it. I think it's also the same thing that made Johnny Manziel or um, even Tebow. It's he's a little bit different. He has a skill set that doesn't necessarily jump at you as a prototypical quarterback or even something that you easily see because you're not talking about somebody like uh, Ben Roethlisberger who isn't your prototypical quarterback because he's giant and can move. But you're looking at a guy that has all these intangibles that you just want to tap into and get. But yeah, I just think about this though, just to randomly throw things out. Ro- Rosen went what? 10. Yeah. He went was right he in 10 front last of, year. He went right in front of Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So he was 10 last year. Mm-hmm. So let's say, the Cardinals use number one and pick up Murray this year. And that doesn't work. They're going to end up picking in the top 10 again. Could they really go three straight years of picking a first round quarterback in the top 10 and have a franchise that can move forward and actually build? I mean, it's not a lot of first round quarterbacks. That's like something the Redskins would do. I mean, that's, that's dangerous stuff there. I mean, cause you think about if you, if you miss fire on a quarterback in the first, in the first round, let alone that high, cause I mean, you're going to go ahead and you're going to devote resources internally to that yep. guy. I mean, at some point you're, if you're taking a dude in the first round, you're looking at him, at him as eventually being your guy. Yeah. And they would be absolutely. And I'm not saying that it would be a failure on their part on Josh Rosen, it would just be, they would be giving up on Rosen in order to get Murray. Oh yeah. Now again, like I said, they could theoretically keep both and see which one turns out. So they could do that, but yeah, it could be literally just give up on a guy in order to hope another guy pans out. Are we sponsored by ESPN now? (laughs) Um, U.S. and Japan draw to play to a 2-2 draw. Alex Morgan scores 99th international goal, but Japan gets stoppage time equalizer in She Believes Cup opener. So, you know. Yeah, well. My phone decided to go ahead and uh, throw that in there. I know that you talk about sometimes. I don't think people realize that, like, we're both huge fans of association football. So. I I love soccer. I love it so much. I think, you know, the thing is, I grew up and I hated the the name soccer. I just, I don't know. I just, I mean, like football, I don't know. There's just something to just the way those syllables are lined up. And I mean, like, and it's, you, I mean, when you talk about American football, I mean, even, unless you're talking about special teams, I mean, the foot's not really involved in, in terms of actually touching the ball. Whereas in association football, that's the absolute rules of the road right there. So, so now I, now I have to go into my story that I like to share of why we call it soccer. <laughs> so you want to, you just want to enlighten everyone. Yeah. Years ago, obviously when football as an entity was evolving into rugby and what we call soccer football 
or rugby football was the full name and association football was the full name. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously rugby got shortened down to rugby and in English, in English speaking countries, specifically England, Great Britain, association football got shortened down to soccer. But when the Yanks started picking it up and calling it soccer, going back to Great Britain, they didn't like the fact that it sounded so I, I, vulgar. I don't know if that's the right term, but it just didn't sound as appealing to them. So they sort of went off of calling it association football soccer and went back to calling it football. So we picked up soccer from a derivative of association football that was started in England originally. I have the privilege of knowing that story because my heritage is purely Western Europe. Also not the first example of um, England hating the way we pronounce things. I mean, this goes that back. True. This goes back forever. I mean, like, and it's it's really a Shakespearean thing when you think about it, because I mean, like, that's I mean, with the the way that he wrote and everything. I mean, we, this is a football podcast. We don't need to really get into this much. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, the whole at versus your etymology class for today. Yeah, first ah thing. I mean, that's a that's a classic battle um, across the pond. So anyway, so yeah, we'll talk about this later because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know too many people who are who are as into that sport as I am, so I'm always glad when I find find these people. So, I'm trying to think some other other things that I want to touch on here. Um, how do you feel about the coaching staff? I like it. I mean, it's a lot of guys that are being promoted into positions. I think that I think both on the front office and on the coaching staff. They knew what they wanted. They went and got guys that, one, they're comfortable with, which obviously every coach tries to do. You're not going to try to hire a guy that you know nothing about or anything. But they – it didn't feel like and, – and it didn't feel like this with Gase right away, but it did feel like it over the last couple years of the Gase era that, granted, that was pretty much all of the Gase era. But <laughs> it felt like it didn't matter who it was. If he had any tie whatsoever to Gase, Gase was going to hire. And this felt more like there are ties there, but that Flores was very specific on who he was targeting, who he was bringing in, and what role they were going to fill. And I think the same with Chris Greer. And being able to grab some of the guys that he was able to grab this year, I think will help the front office immensely. And then I think that... The the one thing that I uh I, I found really interesting was we've seen Patriots coaches leave before to go be head coaches, but you don't normally see a bunch of assistants follow. Right. And this year you did. And that tells me either, and maybe it's both, but either Brian Flores is so respected that these guys are willing to go against Belichick and follow him and go I want to I want to work with that guy or and again it could be both but or there's a feeling within the Patriots organization that the Belichick era is coming to an end and these guys are starting to position themselves for what's my next job after this and I could see that as part of why they would want to leave because 
I have to believe that the next coach of the Patriots is McDaniels. Uh-huh. And that's why he didn't leave. Boy, I and so. I think some of these guys are like, eh, it's time for me to get out of here before he becomes the head coach. <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to work for Josh Mishandles. I think, um, boy, let's, let's <laughs> hope it's both there, because that would mean that the Dolphins just landed a premier guy as their head coach. And that, you know, the days of having to look at that curmudgeon prune up in uh, Foxborough are coming to an end at some point. You have to figure it ends sooner or later. We're going on almost 20 years here. So, I mean, respect to yeah, them. I mean, that's been a ridiculous run. It's a dominant run. And the most frustrating thing about it is I feel like they've just. They're flexible. They're willing to try new things in terms of how. They operate as a team. That goes back to things Bill Belichick did as defensive coordinator for the Giants. You think about him shutting down the 90 Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl, um, just absolutely forcing them to run the ball with Thurman Thomas. He wanted Thurman Thomas to have a big game that day because then it meant that the the K-gun wasn't going off, so to speak. So, um, I mean, they're just they're smart. And you just think you're how you know 32 teams in the league and 31 other teams, even though you have millions upon millions of dollars that go into these organizations, aren't able to figure it out at this level. That is so frustrating. And I mean, it's been that way for like I said, almost 20 years. Yeah, and it's not like I, I and and I'm not trying to downplay what they've done, but it's not like they are revolutionizing everything to the point that we don't recognize it. They are doing things that people cannot keep up with, like during the um, Super Bowl when all of a sudden you had six or seven guys standing up there at the box and they all knew where they were going. And they knew that because of the Rams offense and how it was set up, that they had a young quarterback who was turning his back on the defense for the play action. And the second he would turn his back, they would change the defense after the snap. They were changing what they were doing just enough that he would turn back around. And suddenly it's not what he thought he was going to be seeing. And so it's simple things that make a lot of sense that they do so much better than everybody else that, and and I know that you're going to have a ton of people that are going to immediately go. Yeah, but Everybody that's ever left Belichick doesn't they, – they don't have that same success. They, they have learned from him, but they don't bring it with them. They don't find that same success. And I get it, but at some point, somebody's going to be able to come out of there and emulate, if not perfectly copy, what they do. And this is the next guy to take that shot. And odds have to be better that he will do it than everybody before him, given that somebody somewhere is going to finally be able to do it. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's it's a mindset. It's not a scheme per se. It's not like they've just got this yeah. dominant 3-4 defense out there. I mean, like they're they're willing to do the little things. They're never I mean, it's funny cuz they're such an egotistical team, but they're they're never above doing the little things that will make a difference in a game, which makes no sense to right. me. But I mean, they're they're willing. Right. I mean, they they cross all the T's and they dot all the I's and everything. There are no loose ends when that team is playing well. And I mean, they they have reinvented themselves. I'm not trying to turn this into a Patriots love fest, by the way. We're trying we're trying to give props <laughs> to the coach, by the way. Just be I. So many people just turn this off. I'm sure. But 
So, hey, their 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 quarterback is not willing to receive. He's not willing to catch football. No, man, I wish. I mean, if this weren't a family program, I could. <laughs> I love that quote from Giselle. <laughs> I, my husband cannot cannot throw and catch the ball. So it's like because uh, he can't catch. Yeah, which we saw in the Super Bowl last year. But I mean, you think about you know they and this most recent run, I think, or this Super Bowl they won was most reminiscent of the teams we saw that won three of four. You know, uh, yeah. Oh, you know, it was almost starting like in the 2001 season, and that played really strong defense toward the end. Um, very sound, very smart, and the offense at times was doing just enough. And that's when I think about those those first three Super Bowls they won. Because you think about like when they, you know, the un, you know the eighteen and one Patriots they went to the Super Bowl. I mean that team was an offensive juggernaut. But I always say that that's not necessarily the team you want because all it's going to take is one team throwing a wrench in your offensive plans, things to not go well that day, and you're probably going to lose. And that's what happened that day. I mean, like the Giants got to Tom Brady. They beat the hell out of him in that game. And they put hands on him the whole time and they ended up winning. I mean, like it's it is a very simple formula. If you want to have success against that guy, you got to put hands on him. And I understand that. I mean, that's a little more difficult in today's NFL because Kansas City put hands on him barely and got flagged for it. So. I don't know. It's anyway, all this is to say that I, I do like the floor is higher. I do think he embodies the mindset that you're talking about here where he's he's all about commitment to certain things. I mean, a flexibility. He's not coming in here and saying we are absolutely running a three, four or we're running a four, three. And there's no flexibility to that. He's going to go with the talent as he sees fit. And you have to imagine he comes in there and looks like Xavier Howard. He's like, oh, hell yeah. Of course, like I mean, yeah, and go ahead. I, I know that there's there's so much talk or so many. I won't say talk. There's, uh, it's really fan speculation with a little bit of media picking up on it. I think, but this idea that they should trade Howard because they they're in this rebuild mode and they're going to waste him and he won't be in his prime when they hit their prime. And it's like. Do we realize he's still a young player? We're not talking about Cameron Wake here. We're talking about a young player at a prime key position. You keep those players. Unless somebody's coming in there and being like, hey, we'll give you every pick. Then you take it. But I just, I think that he is such a stud in the making that you just you hold on to him and you build around him. You let him lock down somebody. And then whether they need to go pick up somebody or this coaching staff can fix Tankersley, I think that you have the core between McCain, Howard, Tankersley. You, you have a core building there. And then you put Minka back at, at free safety. Jones, yes, he's older, but you let him be the – Pro Bowl strong safety that he should be. And your secondary is locked, which goes back to, like you said earlier, the trenches and that front is where you need to work. Oh, it's so bad. I mean, like the, the the amount of beef they need to bring in there. And I mean, the good news is, is you're likely going to have some really strong options at defensive tackle. 
at that number 13 spot. I think you could. Especially you really, really Because the quarterbacks are always going to rise up. And I know people are listening to this and thinking, well, we need to be the team taking that quarterback. Sooner than later, yes. I don't know that it that doesn't need to happen now. I think patience, I mean, I realize I'm, t- I'm talking to people who haven't had a legitimate quarterback since the 1999 season, and I just said the word patience, and they probably want to throw me through a window right now. But honestly, right now, the way the plan is, next year is stacked too. And if the right quarterback is there, like suppose uh, like Drew Locke is there and the Dolphins really like him, yeah, you take Drew Locke, especially because maybe Denver doesn't take a quarterback. John right. Elway really likes bringing in vets and not having to trade up for guys like Paxton Lynch. Um, so there's little things in there where, yeah, some some stuff could come up and maybe a guy falls to them that they really like. But if that's not the case and they're cool with waiting till next year and they're confident that they're going to put a team together, they're going to try to be competitive, but they're probably not going to be that good. Then, yeah, you're looking at 2020. I do think Rashad Jones is uh, I if anyone's going to get traded, I feel like it's going to be him. I I think I, I could see it. I mean, it he's a guy I think. I think that they re-signed Cam Wake just because I think they do, but they also realize it's time to turn this over to younger players. And Jones is a player that I could see them trading. I think he's back, but I think that he is a player that has the opportunity to bring you something. And it won't be great. They're not going to get a first rounder or something like that, but he could bring you something. And it gives you a chance to play those younger players in the secondary. So, yeah, he could be somebody that could get traded. If Flores comes in and gets something out of Charles Harris, we all need to send him money. I think. I think Charles Harris, I mean, I know everybody is down on him, but we we, we love to make immediate snap decisions. And that guy's a bust the second he hits the field. And it's like, guys, maybe let him develop. I mean, I get it. You want more out of a first-round pick defensive end, but they did push Branch, Quinn, Wake. Those are guys that are going to be ahead of him on the depth chart by name alone. So I think this year you probably do see him get a little bit more. He may be a stand-up pass rusher better than he is a hand-in-the-dirt guy. And so you – use him in more of the three, four style set. And maybe he's the guy that is playing most downs. And then cam is coming in, in that pure pass rush type role. And that's where you're seeing cam wake fit back. Right. in. Again, like I said, I think they re-signed cam wake. I just, and that may just be the dolphins fan in me having seen Jason Taylor go to the Redskins and go to the jets and hating every minute of him, not being an aqua. I don't want to see Cam Wake in anything. But yeah, that never should have happened. That's that's still a sore point with me. It always will be. Um, Charles Harris, in my opinion, is absolutely a stand-up linebacker. I don't believe he's a defensive end. The thing is, and a lot of people ding him for this, yeah, he's a one-trick pony. He's an absolute speed rusher. But that one trick is damn good. So, I mean, like with the right, and I mean, Matt Burke was never going to be, Matt Burke couldn't get the most out of anyone. It's a miracle. That I mean, you had guys like Minka Fitz, yeah. Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, you should appreciate his talent. I think like he developed in spite of. I don't think that what the Dolphins had on the defensive side of the football coaching in terms of tutelage was any great shakes last year. I think that dude was way in over his head. He might end up being pretty good at some point, Burke. That is, but it wasn't and that. That go ahead. 
that also ties to there are so many people that are angry. Angry is not the right word, but frustrated maybe with Kiko. And I think Kiko is going to be, if they go to primarily a 3-4 style set and he's working as one of those inside linebackers, I think he's going to be a stud as long as he's not asked to cover. That guy, if you are relying on him to be a run stuffer, stuffer, a guy that is right there behind your defense and he has the quickness to bounce, I'm in the A gap, oh, he went to the B gap and he can bounce over there. But we see him way too many times trying to chase a wide receiver or a tight end down the field, and everybody gets mad at him about that. So, yeah, I think that this coaching staff, this past coaching staff, did not do the defense any favors. They did not play to their strengths. And maybe part of that was it took Baker a little bit longer to step up into being that coverage guy. And they never seemed comfortable with what to do with Raekwon. So I, I think that, yeah, I think that if you put Kiko in there, you get the across the board. I think that if you get the defense, better coaching, and now you have a defensive-minded head coach, they should get better coaching. I think this defense can step up very quickly. And I think that's the exciting thing. I'm not looking for this team to be competitive this year, but – I believe they have the right coaches in there now, especially in terms of defense. And with that, I'm excited to see what happens. I mean, Buddy Ryan always had that quote, we're going to find out. Now that you have guys who can coach, you're going to find out. We're going to find out about Charles Harris. You're going to find out about Raquan McMillan. You're going to find out about Kiko Alonso, I think. And I mean, great point there that the Patriots would knowing, I mean, let's just offer this up. Brian Flores in his previous role, if he had Kiko Alonso in there, He's not going to put him on a tight end. He knows he's going to get absolutely killed. I mean, it's like yeah. you are you are going to hemorrhage points, chunk yardage, everything with that assignment. Why would you do it? Because you're trying to force a square peg in a round yeah. hole. I don't know if it comes down to ego or just thinking that something's going to click or just being relentless. And I mean, maybe there's something to admire in having so much commitment toward 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 a certain defensive scheme, but I don't believe that's how today's NFL works. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think that's how sports works anymore. And who who was it that we saw? Was it was it the Saints? Who was it that went basically no linebackers? No, it was uh, San Diego or LA. Was it San Diego or LA? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Somebody I knew did that. And it's like, okay, that's a coach that gets it that, hey, play to the system not or play to the field not to your system yeah we're gonna change it up and get after you because we're gonna take away what works for you and yeah he tried to do it the next week against the patriots that didn't work that was gus bradley and that yeah that was a great call because i mean with lamar jackson i mean lamar jackson had just absolutely just skinned them not even a month prior was that like three weeks prior they played right before christmas And he just on that Saturday night game and he just absolutely just maimed them. So So I'm gonna ask you a question because I, I don't know. Maybe you guys have talked about him. I've listened to so many because I try to and I, I know I'm I'm bad about it, but I try to make sure that I'm catching up with all of the Finsider radio network, Finsider podcast network uh shows that I'm trying to keep up with. But have you guys talked at Oliver? Yeah. Okay. What what is your 
thoughts on if him. he's there at 13 he needs to be a dolphin uh zach okay. is also uh a huge fan of his i mean the thing about ed oliver is he brings rare versatility to that position because i mean it's so easy to get to get hemmed into a corner when you're a defensive tackle it's like you know are you a, a penetrating three technique are you a one tech are you a nose? Are you like, some guy that we look at you and we think you're just going to be a shade zero or something like Ed Oliver can do a lot of things. There's some people I don't know that I would want to do this, but a lot of people think he's like a LeVon Kirkland type and they're just going to use him at linebacker while they're at it, too. So I think that and I, I don't want to go ahead and, and draw the conclusion for you, but I think I know where you're going. And I mean, if you're looking for that kind of Patriots like flexibility that Brian Flores wants ed oliver is absolutely like a top guy in my opinion he's a guy that i think could be sitting there and like you said if it's a quarterback that you're in love with at 13 and he's sitting there on the board you'll obviously take him but if you have a choice of a couple of defensive tackles slash defensive ends and i think that a big piece of that is we 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 as a Dolphins fan base, because we've run the 4-3 for so long, we think of defensive ends as the guys attacking, making that penetration and trying to get to the quarterback. And if we're going to be a true hybrid that runs 3-4 style schemes, defensive ends are William Hayes. That's a good defensive end. And I think that um, you do look at somebody like uh, Ed Oliver as he has – an amazing first step. He can get in there. He can penetrate, but he can also, like you said, he has the versatility to play in multiple ways and in multiple fronts that he's somebody that I don't know that I'm in love with a player yet. I haven't watched enough. Obviously we're just now getting to the scouting combine. So there's plenty of work to do before the draft gets here, but he's definitely somebody that I would sit there at 13 and be like, yep, I, I I see that making a lot of sense. Oh man, I would run that pickup. Uh, Zach and I each have like a top three, top five in this draft, and the two players we have in common. Actually, it might be more than that because I think we like the corners too. Uh, Ed Oliver and Dalton Risner are both guys that we love, and I mean, like I know I do. Dolphins fans would hate that Risner pick too. I think that I think that's something <laughs> where I would trade down for it, and I don't know if. I don't know if that if this is yeah. the year you really want to do that unless like you're really looking to pick up uh, draft capital going forward. But your your problems at on the left side of the line might be over when when you bring in somebody like that guy because I mean like it's assumed he's going to be a left guard, uh, smart enough to as I think some people think he can play center too, which I mean like is a Kansas State brethren. Uh, Cody Whitehair. I think I like him most as a left guard, but he could also play right tackle too. So, and and that what what do you think uh, happens with James? I think they I think they resign him. Yeah. Okay. I've seen I've seen the number yeah, floated out that's there. My I saw too. somebody say twelve million. I don't think he's gonna, I don't think it's going to cost that much. So. Yeah, I think they. I think I think they resign him. I I just I look at it like. You have a guy that has proven he can be solid at worst. He has games where he's really, really good. But you have a guy that's solid at worst. And you have so many holes on the offensive line already. Why create another and go with, hey, we need four new starters? 
essentially. Yeah. I... So go ahead and lock him down. Keep him for a few years. Yes, you know you have Laramie Tunsil coming up due. You have some other guys that are going to come up due, but I think you get James, you lock him down, and then, yeah, I think somebody like Risner could make sense because he does have that versatility. He does have the where, – where did the Dolphins – I mean – where didn't they struggle? But where did the Dolphins always struggle? <laughs> Left guard. Injuries crushed the offensive yeah. line. So you now have a guy that you could put him in at guard or center. And if something happens to James, you have a built-in backup right tackle. Another thing to that, too, if you're paying uh, Juwan James and then Laramie Tunsil, you think, um, second contract money, you want to get cheaper at the interior because that's the that's a trapping yep. in the NFL right now. These teams are paying just exorbitant amounts of money for the guard position. You think about like Andrew Norwell last year, what he made, um, you know, at one point what Josh Sitton was making. I mean, like these guys make big money. Yep. So like, if you can, I hate to say it, but I mean, I'm a big, I love the offensive line more than I think any other group in football. I always have. I'm a big fan of the theory that if it's just better to draft it, I feel like teams pay too much. Look what Cleveland gave all, gave all those dudes a couple of years ago. Zeitler and J.C. Treader and all those guys. They paid just absolutely through the nose for them. Uh, Joel Batonio, they re-signed. It's just an area where if you can draft it and you got these guys playing on rookie contracts and everything, I think it makes a big difference and it allows you to allocate your money elsewhere, which is an important thing. So would you lean... Are you leaning towards cutting sitting then? Yeah. I mean, if you draft all, if you draft a guy like Dalton Risner or you draft any of the guards, then that's a, just a slam dunk in my opinion. Why would you in a year like that you have coming up like 2019? I mean, why are you paying Josh? Sitton? I mean, he's going to give you 5 million in cap savings, which basically frees up a good chunk of, if not all of your rookie wage scale. Now you're there. thinking, look, you should, Maybe so, you should have been the GM. So if you, if you, yeah, if you keep him. I don't know. What I don't know is if he has guarantees of like, it becomes fully guaranteed at the fifth day of the league year or something right. like that. So I don't know those pieces. But if, uh, if you can, you hold him, see what you do in the draft. And then, yeah, you could end up releasing him eating $2 million in dead money and keeping $5 million in savings to free up for your draft class. So it could I'm work. just thinking about it from a like just a human standpoint, because as long as he can stay healthy, he's still a good player. You know, it'd be nice to see him fin- finishing yep. out his career playing for a team that isn't rebuilding or, you know, whatever they're saying, tanking yeah. or whatever sort of uh, four-letter word that they're... Uh, associating with the fact that this is absolutely a team rebuilding. So I know maybe you can go ahead and, I don't know, even get something for him. But, I mean, that injury definitely hurts the cause. But he's still a really good player when he's healthy. It's just we'll see. So, And that may be what ends up happening, too, is, hey, we will extend you another year, but you need to bring that number down onto almost a um, prove-it deal or something just because of the injury history. Well, I mean, Adam Gase, Mike Tannenbaum, they swung for the fences with guys like Sitton and uh, Kilgore and whatnot, and it didn't work. So, I mean, yep. that's those are guys where, I mean, I think, they're, I think they're good players. I mean, but you're talking about two guys who 
played not very much this year. You know, Sitton went down yeah. almost and immediately, that, and then Kilgore followed suit soon after. And I think that where it fell apart for them was yes, and when we all saw it when they started these signings, that hey, you guys are signing some injury history older players, but I think they were kind of betting on we are, but not all of them will be injured. And then all of them got injured. And now you don't have a plan for, okay, we saw one happening and we could fill in for that one. But when all happened, it just became a mess. I mean, even Frank Gore, who saw Frank Gore getting injured? Right. Frank Frank Gore never gets hurt. So um, the guy's just an absolute machine. But yeah, I mean, so if you've got the, if you've got the bookend tackles uh, locked up, which is what I'd like to see this team do, then I mean, I'm a big fan of acquiring your offensive line interior through the draft. Like do it, do it smart, do it cheap and, you know, plan for the long term there. I love guys like Dalton Risner. There's so many um, low key, but very talented interior offensive guys in this draft, you know, some really good centers this year too. So, I mean, there's a a lot that they can play with. And I know that's going to upset some fans because they're going to look for home run picks right off the bat. But the thing is, this is a rebuild. You're you're not necessarily going to get that home run pick right off the bat. Would be nice. It'd be exciting. And I think that, I think the team is, I know like today, um, the team kind of went, Hey, we're not tanking. We're not losing games on purpose. We're going out there to win. We're going to try to be competitive. I think, but I think at the same time, they're also doing a decent job of saying things like, Hey, we want to build the foundation. We want to look at the trenches. They're saying the words that are saying, Hey, don't necessarily look for us to be out there going, Hey, who's the fastest wide receiver. Okay. We're trading. We're getting that guy. Who's the, guy that jumped the highest okay we're getting that guy you're gonna see guys that build that foundation these are the building blocks and then you put the other pieces on top of them they're using terms that the season ticket holders aren't going to recognize as rebuild speak in there we're we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and And, and they said they said um i think it was 80 percent renewal no this year so they've the uh the the season ticket holders as a whole and I may be wrong on that but that, I think that's what I heard so the season ticket holders in a large part seem to be buying in on okay we get it you're finally going to rebuild this thing it's time to rebuild it we will stick with you and make sure or see how you're going after this year yeah it's a long time coming and i think the important thing is i believe they have the correct front office and coaching personalities in place to actually make a go of this instead of just kind of hoping that they're going to get it right. I do think they'll get this right. I like, I like what they're saying or not saying. Um, I, I understand the, the non-committal speak that they have about certain things right now. And that's fine. I don't expect them to draft a quarterback this year. If they do, that's cool too. But I mean, I don't expect it. I don't. I think the the thing I I kind of like about this. I don't know what to expect from these guys right now. I don't know what they're going to do with that number thirteen pick. It is wide yeah. open. Yep. You could trade it. It is. It really is, and it could just be a matter of best player available. Which I know there are people on the fence side of it have been screaming about that for years. But 
I think that the difference between this year and previous years is we all acknowledge that every position is a position of need. So you have to go best player yeah. available instead of weighing, hey, where are my needs and what are the best players right, available? Exactly. So um, I'm going to try to wrap this up because I have to go watch the uh, finale of the uh, Mass Singer with my wife. Oh, uh, I haven't uh, recorded or I will have it recorded because I'm in the middle of traveling. So I will have it recorded so I, I can watch it when I get back. I hate tomorrow. how much I love that show. It's I'm so ashamed. <laughs> it's 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 frustrating watching it because you're like really but it really is it really is something I'm that's so ashamed you. but at the same time I, I so do we need to have a uh masked singer podcast this oh weekend man i mean like i have so many ideas for that show like first of all they could just take the panel out back and get rid of them because like i don't i'm not interested yeah. in what robin thick has to say jenny mccarthy actually lives out here now <laughs> She, um, she, her and, uh, Donnie live in, um, the, my hometown, St. Charles. So I love the fact that they have her now guessing that, um, Peacock is Donnie and you're like, I would hope you would know if it was your yeah, husband. I mean, that whole thing was, was ludicrous. <laughs> I had a short story there. Uh, Donnie was at, um, there's a, a Thai restaurant kind of by where I work. And one of my coworkers, uh, is actually a really good friend of mine too. He's from Croatia. He was there at the same time picking up uh, dinner for his family. And he walked in and he said he was just standing in line. And all of a sudden he looks and Donnie Wahlberg's standing up front and just kind of like playing around on his phone. And we all know that he's big into like Boston sports and everything. And um, I, this is yeah. uh, right after uh, the Bruins were eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. Wait, Mark Wahlberg's brother is big into Boston sports. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm shocked. Even though Wahlberg always you know, has Philadelphia <laughs> Eagle stuff on when he does movies. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess like Donnie was like looking through NHL scores on his phone and my friend just like walked up to him. He was like, he was like, uh, don't bother. You're not going to find the Bruins score in there. And I guess like, <laughs> I guess like Donnie looked up and he was just like, what the hell? He was like, I don't know you. And then I guess after they started talking there too, but I was just like, man, you were trolling Donnie Wahlberg. You don't even know him. Went right after him. So actually my, uh, my coworker slash friend said he's actually a pretty cool guy. So, but anyway, uh, yeah. So he had that whole guessing thing. I don't know why that Ken Jong is on that show. Um, and then they have like these really awkward, uh, special guests. I thought Joel McHale is actually decent. Yeah. But like the other guys just I mean, they're just they're talking just so much talking. It's almost like throwing like crap at a wall and like they're just hoping it sticks. So, I mean, I don't know. Yep. But uh, I remember my wife was watching that show and I remember seeing the trailers and just thinking like, man, that looks so stupid. Like, I mean, what? Are, and I didn't really understand the premise of how, you know, how they eliminate, how they reveal who people are and everything. Right. The thing that hooks you, though, is some of these people are really good singers. And I, my theory yep. is they're probably recording their vocals beforehand. I believe it's them singing, but I think they're probably yeah. like in an ISO booth. Cause I mean, like they're out there, like, right. like you said, like the peacock guy, he's out there like strutting around and doing like these insane dances and everything. And it doesn't sound like he's out of breath. So either he's in tremendous shape, like uh, I don't want to ruin it for people, but like Joey Fatone is on the show and Joey Fatone is not in excellent physical health. <laughs> and that dude was up there like throwing down. Um, but I love I Joey, love Joey too. 
Joey was on satellite radio a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and was talking and I was thoroughly entertained by that interview. And I'm not like my wife loves in sync. Like when in sync did the whole like mini reunion on the uh, VMAs, I think it was like 2013. Like I could hear her crying from the next room over. I think we were doing a, I think we were doing a show or something like we were doing like when we used to do Google Hangouts. And I remember like I could just hear I could just yeah. hear like a low sobbing. And I was just like, ah, geez. I know what this is. So I'm curious to see. Um, I think I'm most interested to see who that monster guy is because that guy is such a good singer. So I don't know, man. I, I would have thought like, I mean, I just got hooked by the mass singer. I know that these people are good singers. I have to laugh, though. And they're like, who's your favorite celebrity? And mo- so most of the people on that show are super washed up. So I'm just like, yeah, I don't know about this. But then they have some people on there that are cool. So I'm hoping for the best. So, I don't know. But you know what's funny though is everybody listening to this will have already know will already, oh, they'll know, already the know if they're if they're watching it, of course. Yeah. But so anyway, um, we'll go ahead. Thanks for joining me as co-host tonight. Zach out on the road. Yeah, I didn't absolutely. replace Zach. He's out on the road. He's um doing stuff for work. So I think he and I might record a show tomorrow night. We'll probably talk about Dad Oliver. So, um. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Mosel Dahl fan, as I always like to think of him as head of the insider, <laughs> the the head guy over there. Um, you can go ahead and visit all the shows in the Finsider Radio Podcast Network. I think the blowhole is the next one that comes out. I think that's Friday. Finsider Radio, my old shows on there. Is it just three of us right now? Uh yes. Right now. Mm, it's the just holy three. triumvirate. I love it. So um, thanks to everyone for tuning in tonight. Uh, thanks for listening to our uh, our babble. And we'll be back. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with uh, Zach. So thanks, everyone. Uh, have a great night.